You never know who you're going to see. I beat one guy one-on-one -on -one my whole career. It's timing. It's right for time. the clenching goal to bring the trophy back. What you're going to hear. You got a lot of desperate people in the city. They're desperate because they don't have opportunity. Or what they've got to say. When you can take people inside of a crime, show them things they wouldn't normally see. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what you're going to hear on my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic Home Edition. Thanks for being with us. We have Kevin Dietz. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, how are you? And I'm really excited about our guest today. His name is Josh Lincoln. I've gotten to know him recently. Really, really smart guy. He calls himself a creative troublemaker. He passionately believes that all human beings have incredible creative capacity, and he's on a mission to unlock inventive thinking and creative problem solving to help leaders, individuals, and communities soar. He's been the founder and CEO of five tech companies, which sold for a combined value of over $200 million, and is the author of four books, including the New York Times bestsellers, Discipline of Dreaming, I'm sorry, Disciplined Dreaming, and The Road to to reinvention. He has helped launch and grow over 100 startups and is the founding partner of Detroit Venture Partners. Today, Josh serves as chairman and co-founder of Platypus Lab, Labs, an intervention research training and consulting firm. He has twice been named the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year and is the recipient of the United States Presidential Champion of Change Award. He's also a passionate Detroiter, father of four, professional level jazz guitarist and has a slightly odd obsession for pizza, which we will ask him about because I love pizza too. Welcome to the show, Josh Lakner. Thank you so much, guys. Great to be with you here today. And uh, I'm just hoping that everybody's safe and healthy. Yes, we are. We are. So I know you're, you're phoning in from Naples, Florida right now, but you're a Detroiter. You're coming back to Detroit really soon. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, Detroit. I was born in the city, not the suburbs, and I've I've spent most of my life in Detroit. Uh, Tia, my wife, and I have a home down here in Naples, but uh, we're 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 from Detroit, and, and we'll be back shortly. So the first question that jumps out to me is, you know, in in your in your bio on your website, you call yourself a creative troublemaker. What what does that mean? I kind of like that term because it's a bit provocative, but uh, when you think of those that really make their mark in the world and how we want to be remembered, it's people who stir up a little trouble. In other words, those that go against the grain or are willing to be provocative and challenge conventional thinking, stick your finger in the eye of, of tradition. And uh, I, that's what I've done my whole life. Uh, I've always taken the path less traveled and I just love encouraging other people to, to create some trouble of their own. It doesn't have to be illegal. I mean, you're obviously not gonna do something that's hurtful to somebody, but I find that when we push the boundaries, when we push our creative limits a bit, that's where the greatness occurs. So you call yourself, I mean, your books are all about innovation. I've learned a ton of how to think innovatively through your blogs, through your books, through just being with you in the same room. But for those of people who don't even know what innovation is, what's your definition of it? Well, I like to start with creativity. So creativity in the broadest sense is just imagining something that doesn't exist today. And that could be productive or not productive or a bad idea or a good one. It's just, just imagining something that doesn't exist. And the research, by the way, is crystal clear that all of us as human beings have enormous creative capacity. We may express it in different ways. Like I play jazz guitar pretty well, I can't draw a stick figure if I tried. So each of us, again, can be creative in our own way. But from creativity, then you pare down, my definition anyway of innovation is like useful creativity. 
So creativity would be if I went outside and painted my car purple, that would be creative because that doesn't exist. It wouldn't be useful. On the other hand, if I invented some color changing paint that allowed a, a driver to select whatever color their mood determined, that would be an innovation because it would be useful creativity. So that's simply the way I look at it is human creativity applied for something useful equals innovation. And in, in this day and age with everything that's going on right now, what are your some, I mean, I, I know you wrote a blog, um, you also write for the free press, which turns into a blog that you meet, email the people who subscribe. I highly, rec highly recommend people subscribe. We'll have, your, we'll have your link in our show notes and everything. But I actually really do read your blogs every weekend when they come out and I sometimes steal some isms of yours, <laughs> like the can't not win ones and, the, and, and things like that, because I think you're really creative. But like, what are you seeing out there? What are you impressed with? Um, these days with the coronavirus going on and, and what you're seeing out there and what you're experiencing? I mean, the, the, the tragedy of the coronavirus, of course, is wide sweeping, but it also, you know, de desperate times often stokes the fuels of innovation. So we're seeing amazing things. I just read an article this morning about drones that are being able to fly overhead and, and spot people who may be carrying the virus through temperature and, and coughing and such. Um, we're seeing 3D printing being used to create face masks and, and protective gear in a time where those, those supplies are in, in high demand. Uh, so we're seeing people attacking this problem in lots of different ways. One of the cool ones that I thought was really fun recently is there's a um, there's a University of Washington creates has like this online game basically where where people from all over the world for free can go on and it's about folding proteins and ideally what you're trying to do is match the folds that that would would solve uh, would create a, a vaccine for coronavirus. And so it's this fun gamified experience. They're tapping the, the minds and creativity of millions of people around the globe. And not only are they having some fun, but they might be able to actually uh, develop a cure. So I just am so uh, humbled and, and excited when I see people pushing their creative boundaries to attack real world challenges. Josh, so many people are uh, basically like in their homes bored and I'm hearing all this, what's on Netflix going around social media? And I, and I feel like uh, this is doesn't have to be a time to sit there and watch TV or be bored uh, and you can do more than puzzles. What are, what are some of the real um, things that people could and should be doing right now to better themselves when we come out on the other side? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question because uh, you know I've been thinking about this a lot. How can we make this a wildly productive pandemic? How can we make this so 12 months from now, we're looking back, being grateful for the time and, and, and realizing that, that we came out stronger and better as a result. So a couple of things that, that, I've, been, uh, that I've been doing. One is I've been really focusing on, on deep creative work. I'm working on a new book. I'm doing some, some, some larger projects that those are hard to do when you're zipping around in between meetings. Another thing that I'm trying to do is staying fit. You know, what a, what a good time, even though we want to crave comfort food and, and, and a little extra booze in these, in these tough times, you know, how can we stay fit so we come out feeling great about ourselves? I'm trying to spend more time with family. I'm trying to work on developing additional skills. I'm doing a ton of learning. I've plowed through like six or seven books. So I think this is a real opportunity. Think about all the times where you and I and, and Michael, we've said to ourselves, if I only had the time, gosh, that would be great if I only had the time. Well, now we have the time. And so might as well use it productively. Nothing wrong with Netflix to recharge a little bit, but, but instead of binging all day, let's use that time in a productive manner so that we emerge again stronger and better once this is all over. Are you, do you, I mean, is, you know, the difference between creativity and innovation is fascinating. I haven't really thought about it that much, but you know, 
when we are all being doing different things, whether they're creative things, they're creative ideas. They're not all that innovative, I guess. It, 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 but these are these are times that I'm kind of thinking about it innovatively, like what can we do differently at home? What new skills can we learn? Should we be learning a new instrument? Um, you know, writing. I wrote a I wrote an article that I don't usually write and things like that. <clears throat> so does that fall in the creativity category, innovative care category? Does it not matter? Is there a different word? Being productive? Yeah, good question. I don't think that we should penalize ourselves saying that it's like not okay to be creative if, unless it's useful. Really, the most useful innovations come from lots of not just great ideas, but many bad ideas. And so the whole creative process is often making a bunch of mistakes. You know, we're, we're in the coronavirus challenge, but think about how a drug discovery happens. People in a laboratory trying all kinds of hundreds or thousands of controlled experiments. And then once they see some progress, they try a whole bunch of other stuff that doesn't work. And it only eventually works through a series of, of, of creative ideas that didn't work out. So to me, that's the process that we should give ourselves permission to, to pursue. And, and, and I like the idea of practicing creativity on a daily basis. In fact, the book I'm working on right now is called Big Little Breakthroughs. And the notion is that if we want those giant, massive wins, if we aim for them, it's unlikely actually that we'll achieve them. The better way to think about it is how can I practice creativity as a daily habit? Lots and lots of small ideas ultimately build the skills to, to find the big ones. And by the way, those small ideas can be very productive along the way. You know, when Da Vinci crafted his masterpiece, the Mona Lisa, that wasn't his first painting. First thing he had to do was learn to paint and paint every day for many, many years. And so that's what the encouragement that I give people. Don't worry about changing the world. Don't worry about some giant industry transformation. Don't worry about earning a billion dollars. Practice creative thinking on a daily basis. Use creative problem solving when you're facing a tough challenge. And over time, you build those skills. It starts to become part of your work and part of your life. I love that message. I, I do agree with you, Josh, 100% that we should be using this time wisely, whatever that means for whatever individual. Some people, it's going to be personal. Some people, it's going to be working on their businesses that I'm going to ask you about. But I do think that there's going to be a time, you know, we're all right around 50 uh, and we've never had an experience like this in our entire lives other than a snow day here or there. And this extended period of downtime, I think people uh, who don't use this time wisely are going to look back with regret. And I agree with you that, that we should be doing stuff every single day. Don't, you know, I'm, I'm finding, I'm curious for both of you, actually, I'm going to ask this to Kevin too and Josh, you know, I'm finding myself more productive. I'm finding myself less watching TV. TV actually hasn't been on in this house, maybe one show where I watched a movie with my kids. Um, but I'm using that as a creative way. Like I'm, I'm trying to get my kids to watch movies that we all grew up with. Like we watched Back to the Future this week which they love. We watched Goodwill Hunting, movies that they probably would never see in their lives unless we took the time, thought about it. I looked at my childhood. But I do, you know, tell me, you know, your thoughts on that and what do you guys, tell me a new skill or a new something you guys are adding into your routines these days. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story real quick. So uh, my daughter uh, came in and she's like, uh, I, she's I'm, just, I'm bored you know she's she's taking her she's still in college so she's taking her online classes and doing doing her homework and stuff but she's getting it done pretty quickly and and i said well didn't we get you a guitar and weren't you going to learn how to do that you never did and she goes yeah but i i i i'm just not going to do that i said i said well why don't you go uh, uh to lara online the licensing and regulation bureau of state i said see if there's a skill there you want to learn and maybe you can go 
do something, you know, it's better than being bored. So she came back a couple hours later and said, uh, Dad, do you think it'd be all right if I uh, got a real estate license? I said, yeah, why not? I have yeah. a couple hundred bucks to take the course. It's 40 hours of time. And so she's jumping in and going to get a real estate license. She's a junior in college. I'm like, it, this is a time where you can take all kinds of chances, do all kinds of things. There's going to be people who come out of this time who are going to create new companies that are going to take off and they're going to be the amazing stories. Uh, just like, you know, uh, back when the internet first came around and people were we're, we're launching. I think there's a lot of uh, opportunities to challenge yourself to take risks because you can take all the risks you want and nobody's going to judge you for taking doing something stupid or crazy in the coronavirus lockdown. It gives you a, a real excuse to, to be bold. So well said. A couple quick comments. One is um, there's a wonderful TED talk that, that the listeners may want to check out, which is uh, called the 20-hour rule. Uh, we've often heard that to master a skill, to learn a skill, this 10,000 hour rule. And that was actually uh, like the game of telephone. It, it got distorted over the years. So to be an absolute world-class expert in something might take 10,000 hours, but you can actually learn most skills if you put 20 hours of focus on it. And that's what this TED talk describes. So if if someone listening says, Get, you know, the pandemic's not gonna last for years and years, and I don't have 10,000 hours to learn guitar or, or, or some other skill, it really doesn't take that long. If you spend 20 hours in focused effort, you can learn most skills. Wow. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, Michael, The um, I've been doing a couple things that I actually started before this uh, epidemic, but, but I've been continuing. Two ideas that are wonderful rituals borrowed from a friend of mine named Neil Pashrika, who's the author of many books uh, and just a great guy. Anyway, two things. One is there's a morning ritual that I've been doing now for a good six months, every morning without fail, like before I get out of bed, it takes two minutes. I ask myself three questions. Number one, what am I grateful for? Number two, what am I gonna focus on today? And number three, what am I gonna let go of? Now those three are such powerful and easy questions and his advice on it isn't just like every day, well, I'm grateful for my family. Be something, be really specific. Like I'm grateful for strong coffee. And the next day, something else. The idea is that you're training your brain, those three things. What are you grateful for? What are you going to focus on today? And, and what are you going to let go of? And the let go of isn't just like, you know, I'm going to let go of all anxiety. It could be something really specific. Like, I'm going to let go of, uh, of being jealous of Michael's cool hair. You know, okay, for one day, I, I let go of that, then I'm done, you know? So the idea is it's a really fun ritual. I've been doing it. It's been meaningful. Just real quick, the second ritual that he taught me, which is honestly for me has been a total game changer. Think about your normal week. You have five work days, let's say, and they're scattered. If you look at your calendar, meetings, calls, et cetera. And there's only little teeny pockets in between where you can actually do deep work. His suggestion isn't working more, it's reshuffling those, those appointments. So his idea is you take four days, whatever four days in a given week work for you and jam them with meetings and calls and whatever. But then you take that fifth day and call it an untouchable day. In his parlance, an untouchable day is where you tell everybody in your office that you, unless it's an absolute emergency, you are not to be called. Turn your email off, turn your social media off, turn your phone off, and use that one day a week for your deep, long-term work, where you can really have the time to get in the groove and explore and push the boundaries, and you're not up against the clock. So again, it's the exact same five days. It's just reorganizing, squishing your, your, your tasks into four days, and one day for, for heads down 
deep thinking, you know, big picture work. I've been doing that now for a few months. Again, absolute game changer. I did one yesterday, uh, massive output of productivity. And it's kind of cool because your mind is thinking different things. Like when you're in that type of mode, you need the time and space to really go deep. And when you're in transactional mode where you're answering phone calls or doing meetings, great, smush it all into four days. I love that. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, what a great time to build muscle around that. Um, like I'm, I've, I'm, I've the, been meditating and, and working out and, you know, during busy weeks, you can, you can get out of it and you can maybe only meditate five days a week instead of the seven that you want. But during these times, you know, I'm building muscle that I know when this all ends, I'm going to want to keep it up. I'm going to want to keep up working out almost every day. I'm going to want to keep up cooking new recipes and connecting with friends and family via Zoom. I mean, I'm looking for the silver linings. I'm looking for the positives. And I feel like I am, you know, growing some muscles. And I, and I like that advice, Josh, you just gave. Um, so, you know, when it comes to business people around Detroit, I know, Josh, how much you love Detroit. I know about all the startups you've helped. Um, if, if I'm a businessman or woman sitting around and the calls have stopped, the government has shut down my business or it's very hard to get in. You know, do you have a process, a, a, a simple process that people can um, start brainstorming on how to innovate, how to think differently? Because so many people are stuck in their ways and they can't, they don't think like an entrepreneur. These might not be entrepreneurs who have a million ideas like you and I do every single day. So do you have any advice to those people who are just stuck? Sure. Well, well, first of all, I think it's unrealistic to think that we're going to just invent some idea in the shower tomorrow that will make everything better in the near term. I mean, our entire global economy is in a in a in a standstill right now, and 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 so don't, we shouldn't be discouraged if we don't have some magical answer because because of seven billion people, nobody has that answer right now. So I think the first thing is giving yourself room to say, okay, now I should be thinking about what's next once this all ends. And in that case, uh, I've done a lot of research on human creativity. A couple things to tell you. One is that. Again, the research is so clear that as human beings, we are all creative. There's no such thing as a non-creative person. Now, we may have built up barriers over the years because we're told to no, don't make any mistakes and there's only one right answer and guess what the teacher knows. Maybe well-intentioned parents or bosses ha have restricted our creative abilities, but we all have that inside of us. I mean, all of us. So the challenge is like, how do you get it out? One thing that the research shows is that fear not natural talent, fear is the single biggest blocker of creative output. It's that poisonous force that robs us of our best thinking, which is why so many people struggle to come up with fresh ideas because they're afraid, right? rightfully so. It's not you're, you're, you're not a courageous person, but we are generally afraid of sharing bold ideas because we don't want to look foolish or we don't want to offend somebody or we don't want to be responsible for it. So if we can remove that layer of fear through some technique, creative ideas just start to flourish. And, and I, I'd love to share an idea, a technique or two with you and your audience because they can be really helpful. Okay. My favorite one, uh, we've all done brainstorming. Brainstorming is a perfectly designed exercise to yield mediocre ideas. And the whole reason, again, it's because of fear because you're gonna share your safe ideas but you'll hold your big ones back because you don't want to offend somebody or you don't want to piss off your boss. Here's a simple way to fix it. It's called role storming, role storming. Role storming is brainstorming a real world challenge, but in character. You're pretending that you're somebody else. So Michael, for example, if you were, you were doing a normal brainstorm, maybe you wouldn't share some crazy idea because you don't want to offend John in your office. But if you're brainstorming a, a real world challenge, but in playing the role of Steve Jobs, 
nobody's going to laugh at Steve for coming up with a big idea. They might laugh at Steve for coming up with a small one. So now because you're not responsible for the idea anymore because it's Steve's idea, you're free. You're liberated to say anything you want, no fear whatsoever. So the way the technique works is take on an actual real-world challenge. Like what am I going to do when the pandemic expires? But pretend you're someone else. It could be an author, a sports figure, a superhero. How would they solve the problem? If you're trying to start an entrepreneurial business, say, well, what would Mark Zuckerberg do? What would Elon Musk do? And I know it sounds a little goofy, but we have to get outside of our comfort zones if we really want to come up with great ideas. And just a real quick example, I did this with an executive team in in Japan, at Sony Japan. And I met this guy, he was like the stiffest human being I've ever met. Dark suit, white shirt, tie like this, stiff as a board. Anyway, we got him roll storming as Yoda. I've never seen personal transformation like this. This dude's jacket's off, his tie's undone, he's like leaping around the room. And the ideas flew, they, they flew out onto the whiteboards. And here's the thing, I didn't teach him to be creative. He had that inside all along, as do all of us. But previously, the role that he was in forbid it to put him in this new role in role storming, and he was able to share incredible ideas. They came out very quickly. It's a great idea. I may try that. I'm not sure who I'm going to be yet, but I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to be maybe you, Josh, because you got some great ideas. So, you know, Kevin, have you ever heard Josh speak in public? I've seen them online. I've been watching some of uh, some of his stuff, and uh, it's uh, one. It's the the crowds are so big. It's it's interesting to me how you um, feed off the energy of the crowd, and then how much energy you give back uh, to the crowd. Because I've done some public speaking, not like that, but but it's interesting. You know, you you want the room to be with you, and uh, and and so when I when I when I watch, I think, oh my gosh, to walk up on a stage like that, and then be able to just really be confident enough, I guess, to, to know that the audience is going to come along with you for the ride is, is, is what captures me. Uh, because I talk to people when they're, when they're, they're getting ready to present to something and I'll say, look, you want to do this. You want to be comfortable. You want to be yourself, but you want to uh, know what you're going to say. So I, I'm curious as to, uh, um, you know, how you get in that frame of mind before you go out there and actually deliver these speeches. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, first thing I would say is that uh, public speaking is a craft more so than just a natural gift. So we all speak like on a daily basis, but just because you gave a great speech at your aunt's wedding doesn't mean you're a professional speaker. And so in my case, it's not that I had some good talent. I just practiced a lot, you know, and I really studied it the same way if you were learning to play the violin or something. You know, I studied the the technical nature of public speaking and and it's a craft. I still watch tape today the same way that a sports, uh, uh, an athlete would watch tape of, of, of other sports people. So the first thing I would say that most people is that if they don't feel comfortable with it, it's probably just because they haven't invested the time and energy to, to, to practice it, like you would learning a new language. Um, that being said, the, the speaker's job is to bring the audience to their energy level, not the other way around. I've heard speakers get off the stage and say, well, the audience was so flat. Not, not trying to be disrespectful, but that's kind of the speaker's job. So if everybody was hungover from the night before because they had this big party in Vegas and there's a thousand people out drinking and it's 8 a.m., now it's my job to bring those people to life. And, and so that responsibility goes on, on the shoulders, uh, in this case, of the speaker. Yeah. So Josh is an amazing speaker. And, and I, you know, I know you give over 200 speeches a year live in front of really big audiences. What's going on? I mean, how are you dealing with that right now? Are they doing it online? Are you, are they just canceled for the time being? What's happening there? Most are just canceled. Well, postponed, not, not really canceled, but most people have, 
uh, have just said, like, obviously you can't have a big event right now. So, so they're rescheduling at later date. So, I mean, it certainly is going to impact uh, our business. I'm, I'm in a very fortunate position and I know many people are really struggling. So I, I'm not crying the blues or anything, but uh, in this case, you're right. I mean, the, the world of speaking and large corporate events is clearly shut down for the time being. Uh, I believe it'll reemerge. In fact, I think this is going to help the business long-term because as great as Zoom is, there's something different about being present. And I think that the, it's, it's reinforcing how important it is for us to get together face to face, even in a digital world. So I remain bullish about the, the notion of us being together physically uh, once this virus has passed. You know, I, you just brought up an interesting point that I wasn't going to ask you about, but I think I'm going to. I was with Gina Wickman this week and we talked about firms and businesses who are for sure going to be able to weather the storm. You're going to be able to weather the storm with your speaking business and your other businesses. My law firm, we're working every day, so we are definitely weathering the storm. And we know that we'll be back when all this ends. And so let's talk to the people who know that's going to happen, are confident that their business is not going down. Uh, oh, it's going to be go. It's going to go down for these two, three, four months for sure. There's. For me, I'm an auto accident, truck accident, motorcycle accident lawyer. There's very few people on the streets. So I'm going to lose business. But we have enough um, people and we have enough you know, business in, in, that we're working on right now that we're going to be okay. Just like you, your speeches are going to click back up once the world changes. So what's, you know, in these, let's call it 90 days. Uh, and you've touched on it a little bit, but business, what could these people and business owners be doing right now to be ready? for that sprint after the pandemic ends? Should they be coming up with a 100-day plan after that? Should they be preparing or should they just be working on home projects and know that it's going to be fine? Where, where, where's your stand on that? Well, it certainly depends on the individual business, but, but in a general sense, so as I mentioned, I studied jazz music and uh, there was a time where this guy named Charlie Parker, who you've probably heard of, one of the greatest musicians of all time, was just kind of like good, but not great. And he was getting some gigs, but he wasn't, you know, the Charlie Parker that we know. So Charlie Parker at, at one point goes off and like hides in some cabin for 10 months, completely isolated, does nothing but go deep and focus on his music. And when he emerged, he became the Charlie Parker that we all know and love. He made history. And so it, there's, there's a term for it. He spent a lot of time in a woodshed uh, actually practicing because the acoustics were good. And so we talk about in the musical world about going to the woodshed or going to shed, you know, means to practice. I think this is a good opportunity for us as business leaders to do that, to say, hey, we're isolated. We're in the woodshed for, for a couple months. How can we come out as an upgraded version? How can we come out that much stronger, that much better, that much more competitive, adding that much more value to our customers? So, you know, we, we so often in business, our heads down, like we're deep in the transactional work of getting stuff done. But when your head's down, you don't notice the world around you. This is one chance really for us to be heads up and to really think about how can we serve customers over the long term? How can we create an incredibly powerful corporate culture? How can we attract talent? How can we better market ourselves? So this is a chance for us to be heads up and to go to the woodshed. And I think, again, hopefully we come out with an upgraded version of ourselves and our businesses on the other side. 
I talk to a lot of people like and uh, I'll ask them, I'll say, well, hey, when's the, la when's the last time you uh, uh, wrote your business plan out for your business? And they'll be like, oh, well, you know, 15 years ago when I started my business. And, and I'm like, well, so many things have changed in the last 15 years. You know, the Internet, social media, all these different things that have, have, have come into our world. And I, I, I tell people, I say, well, you know, maybe it's a good time to go back and, and get the original business plan uh, and, and pull it out and, and see how things have changed and maybe rewrite it. So when you when you come out of this in 90 days, you can say, hey, uh, look, we've, we've had a reassessment. Uh, uh, the world's a different world. And, and, and this is our this is our new business plan going forward. And and you might be able to get a step up on some of your competitors who, who aren't doing that. Yeah, just to share one other quick idea for people. It's a fun technique. As I was building my my, my company and, and I built a few, but the largest one was a company called ePrize. We had about 500 people. Uh, there was a saying, I would repeat it again and again and again, that someday a company will come along and put us out of business. It might as well be us. And so the notion of that whole statement is that what, what would the ideal company coming out of this look like? So Michael, in your law firm, you might say, well, well, if there was a brand new law firm that started and that just completely ate our lunch, like they, they came out strong, they, they, they were better lawyers, more capital, better marketers, all these things, what would that look like? So the notion here is that instead of thinking about yourself, like how can I tweak a couple of things in my own business? Because then you immediately in your mind go to the practicalities of it. You would say, hey, if we emerge out of this coronavirus thing in a couple of months and all of a sudden there was a direct competitor right down the street that crushed us, what would they do differently? How would they go after like? customers? How would they build their business? How would they hire? What would their offices look like? So by imagining your ideal competitor, it frees you from the boundaries of like, how am I going to execute this? And you just start thinking about what would they do? What would that ideal competitor that would, would put me out of business do? And then you can start saying, hmm, I bet I could borrow some cool ideas from them, put them to use myself. It's a great idea. Nice. I've read that in your, I've read, you've, you've talked about that before. It's very, very smart. Kevin, you should pass that on to anybody you know. Yeah. Because of Josh, I, I, you know, I look at my marketing that way and I look at being different than everybody else, being the Cherry Garcia in the room and not the vanilla ice cream. <laughs> and uh, and um, that was, that's, that's really good advice. You know, as you, another thing I've been keep thinking about, Josh, for someone like you who's looking for innovations and I know how much you research other businesses and just watch the world and see things. It's amazing to me how quickly, let's take restaurants, for an example, are pivoting to a takeout area, to takeout situation and how they're communicating, how gyms are up online real quickly doing videos. I mean, that's innovation. Uh, and, 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 this, and I don't know where the question is here, but I'm, my brain's like, this world is gonna be completely different when this ends. Like, I don't ever see us going back to certain ways. Like, I don't know why, you know, for my personal business, you know, why should a client drive an hour to see me when Zoom is pretty good if it's a short meeting? Courts, I think, are gonna change. Workout facilities, people working at home and being productive and successful, why have to pay space for them? They're like, I am kind of curious a little bit excited to see what the future holds after this. What, do you, what are your thoughts? I agree with you that there will definitely be some downstream changes that last. I mean, one example is even the act of shaking hands. Like I know you personally, and I'm happy to shake your hand. I like giving you a big hug, in fact. 
But but like if I'm at an event and there's a thousand people in line for a photo op, I really don't want to shake a thousand strangers' hands, even in good times. So I wonder if the ritual of shaking hands for, with strangers is going to change. And so I think that there's going to be a whole bunch of things, some that we can imagine now, some that, that are, are yet to be seen of how the world changes as a result of this. Certainly some will be negative and, and, and we have to be honest about that. But hopefully there's a handful that, that again, it's an upgrade, that we, we come out better and stronger as a result. I think there's going to be some PTSD for a long time with shaking hands and hugging and I mean, well, don't you think next next flu season, uh, you know, a year from now, or, or when the flu, just the regular old flu's coming around, I think people are going to social distance and they're going to uh, uh, kind of stay away from each other through regular flu seasons. And maybe people will get sick less than than they are now, uh, just from learning from what we're going through right now. There's going to be a lot of lessons learned, and I agree with you that there's going to be it's taking an emotional toll. Right now, we're focused on the immediate health toll. We're focused on the economic toll, but there's going to be a downstream uh, emotional toll. You know, like I said, said to my my wife Tia the other day, if the coronavirus was gone tomorrow, would you be like, hey, let's hop on a plane and go to L.A. and have a big dinner with? Uh, like, I think it's going to take a while just just emotionally for us to get back into the groove, and we're we're adults. I mean, think about. My, my kids are too young right now, I have three-year-old twins, but but how do you explain to a seven-year-old? Think about how terrifying all this is. And, and again, I think that's going to leave a mark in some cases, which uh, again, we'll have to deal with as a society, but there will certainly be downstream implications. Even from 9-11, we saw that it, uh, you know, it took about a year to a year and a half to kind of get back into your normal routines. There was a lot of fear, and I think there'll be a lot of fear in this situation, too. And I, I think at some point, people will get back into it. But but to your point, if uh, if there was a playoff game, they, they announced they're going to have March Madness, and, and they're going to play the games after all, I don't think I would go to the game and watch it. I think I'd watch it on TV. I mean, I'm just not ready. Somebody said that, you know, once the vaccine's in place and once they have a handle on this, hopefully people will feel safe. But going to concerts and going to parties and going where large crowds are, that's to me, that's what life's about. And I, and I hope that, you know, we get back to normal as, as quickly as possible. Um, Josh, tell me about your uh, favorite pizza up here in Detroit. I'm curious about that because I love pizza, too. You and I have never talked about it. What, what are your favorites in, uh, in Michigan? So here's the thing, like I, you, you and I talked about this. I tend to eat pretty healthy. I tend to be, you know, fitness focused and all that. But I just have this like strange obsession for pizza. I could eat pizza like seven days a week. I shouldn't, but I, I can. And uh, I like like every kind of pizza. I like thin pizza, thick pizza. Like I love breakfast pizza. I'll have a white pizza, red pizza, whatever. I just love the stuff. But a couple of favorites around town. My favorite of all time, unfortunately closed, which was like heartbreaking to me, which is a restaurant in Berkeley, Michigan called Sila. Right. which was there for like 60 years. I just loved it. It's funny. I would always drive people crazy because we'd have some big event. Like I sold my company and they're like, let's go to the fanciest restaurant in town. I'm like, no, we're going to Sela. So I, I'm bummed that they they closed. But uh, Green Lantern took them over. Green Lantern is now making pizza out of there. Have you tried their pizza? I have not yet. I have. And I, it, I have to say, if, as much as I wanted to hate them, it is good. Not as good, but it is good. Josh, what made that pizza so good? Was it is it the sauce? A lot of sauce? Is it oven baked? What what's the secret over there? Well, part of it for me was nostalgia because I, I I've been going there for almost my whole life, but uh, it just was great. Like it was so well made, super high quality ingredients, and it was just the perfect like thickness and everything. I just loved it. Funny thing, I got I forgot to tell you this, Michael, but so there was like this huge outdated sign in front of the restaurant, Sila. And my wife knew how much I loved this restaurant. And I was so bummed that they closed. So she managed to get in touch with the new owners. She 
offered to buy it, but they just said you can have it. So I drove into oh. my garage one day and I have a I literally have the Sela sign in my garage, which is pretty fun to see it every day. Send me a picture of it, please. I will. I will for sure. I want to see a picture. I'm gonna embed it in this uh in this That's video. Awesome. I will. But anyway, to answer your question, I love I love buddies. I love uh, tomatoes, a uh, pizza, yeah, which is at several uh, local locations. I love Bigalora, uh, and sometimes I just love a good old fashioned like five dollar dirty pie, as we call it, a little Caesar pizza. To me, there's the best combination is you have like a super expensive bottle of wine with a really cheap pizza. It's like magic. You ever <laughs> see yourself going into the pizza business? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> Definitely do not. <laughs> so. I wrote, I wrote another note here. I wanted Kevin to know this. You know, I think Josh, one, you know, you have lots of great skills and I've learned a ton from you. And one of them that I'd like you to give your thoughts on is you're one of the best, if not best listeners that I've encountered. And you and I have been, I've been lucky enough to spend a dozen or two dozen hours in meetings with you in intimate meetings, two, three, four, five people. And you just, you have a knack for it. And I think after being with you and watching other people, they're not, a lot of people aren't great listeners. So give me your, if, if, if I want to become a better listener, how can I become a better listener? It's really funny that you say that. I'm not just saying because I'm with you. I would say that you are one of, if not the best listeners I know. Seriously, you have an incredible ability to really just listen and focus and be be present as opposed to like, at least you can, it doesn't seem like you're thinking about what you're going to say next. So I right, right back at you, seriously. I mean, you probably have better skills than I do at this. But what I, what I try to do is... Um, I just try to really, you know, listen without prejudging, without knowing where the person's going to go and, and make sure like that they, they feel heard. So even sometimes, you know, let's say someone starts talking about something and you actually kind of know what they're going to say. But, but if you just cut them off, you, you're sort of, in, it's, 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 a, it's a rude thing. And you're basically saying your, your, your words don't matter as much. So even if I kind of know where things are headed, I try to let people and really be respectful and listen to them, you know, kind of focus on them, what they're saying, what they're not saying. And then I try to form my own thoughts and responses after, as opposed to during. It's not an easy. See how Kevin just interrupted you there? That was rude. I, I, can you repeat that? I wasn't listening. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, for no, the interviewer, I think Kevin. It for us. You know, it really is trying not to be ahead of yourself and not listening. I'm not a trained interviewer. We're doing the podcast is just a fun thing to educate, and I try to really. I don't have a lot of notes. I try to listen. And when my brain is done, I end the interview, you know, and I'm with people that interrupt and it is rude. And Josh, I feel like when I've been with you one-on-one, -on -one, you, you hear me, it's like a one beat, two beat. And then you start talking like you're, you're t absorbing what I'm saying. And it's such a nice feeling to be heard. And I try to do that and go ahead, Kevin, I cut you yeah. off. No, it's such a better conversation if you do it that way. Uh, otherwise, if you have a list of questions and you're just going to hit them, it, if you're watching at home, you, you can tell if somebody's listening and the conversation's following the, the path that you're, that you're in or if they're going off some list of questions that they just want to check the box and, and, and keep moving and they're not even paying attention. So you end up, I mean, by being a good listener, you get better interviews. And that's something in the media we deal with all the time. You can, you can spot it right away. So it, it, it's a... It's a skill and, and uh, it's also an art and you can practice it. And, and by doing that, uh, even with your family, it's like it's really easy to cut your family off. You're like, listen, <laughs> this is a, uh, but it, it, it is a, a better conversation. And, and I notice when I if I do an interview with a stranger 
and we have a good conversation where we're listening to each other and talking, uh, you you end up feeling like you you know them and you can have a friendship and a, a relationship. And it, it, it just is very beneficial all the way around to, to do it that way. Yeah, one thing that uh, is, is such a basic core emotion that, that humans need is to feel heard and understood and validated. And so think about the message that you're sending to somebody if you're cutting them off all the time and you think that you're, you talk over them as, as opposed to really taking the time to, to listen. It, it, it's honoring them, it's respecting them. And you're right, I mean, who wants to be with someone that's always interrupting you? It's, it's not that your voice is better than others or vice versa, it's just taking, you know, connecting at a human level. And, and that's one thing I hope we don't lose, even though we're all on Zoom in this digital age, that we can we can still form those those sort of one on one real human connections. So I do have a question I wanted to ask you. Uh, in uh, it's about um, the the startups that that you're involved in, and I was curious. You know, people probably pitch you all the time, and I, I'll watch Shark Tank. I'll watch these pitches and things like that. And I just I wonder what you look for. Is it always the idea, this this idea is just going to work, they came up with a better mousetrap, or is it the, the person or the people, a combination of the things? When, when you're deciding who to work with, uh, how, how do you decide? Yeah, so I spend a lot of time asking that question and researching it. And here's what we do or what I, what I do. Um, I, I call it the jockey, the horse, and the race. And not applying any waiting just now, but but first thing, you know, the jockey, which is the person or the team that's behind it. And and the second one is is the horse, which is the idea itself. You know, you're betting on the horse. And then the race is the, the market opportunity and what does the competition look like? And so we try to weigh all three of those factors, but by far, to me, the most important is the team. I ran this social experiment, actually. Uh, there's, there's all this back and forth literature on, you know, do you bet on the person or the idea? And there's, there's evidence to both. Uh, Cisco was a great idea. The original founder was crazy. They, they got rid of the founder, took the idea, and it's Cisco. Um, but then there's other examples where, you know, a, a great person is really the, the, the driving force. So I made at one point, uh, Kevin, I made two investments almost at the same time, like within days. One was an A team with a C idea. And you know, the other one was a, an, uh, a, C, a C idea with an A team. So, so they were flip-flopped. Here's what happened as if it was scripted in Hollywood. The C team with the A idea managed to screw things up so bad, they were out of business in six months. I lost every penny of my investment, which was like $600,000. The other one though, the C team with the A, or the, the A team with the C idea, the A team managed to take that C idea, massage it, work with it, upgrade it, and it became an A team with an A idea. They were the number one, remain the number one investment in our portfolio. So I personally like to back people and teams. And by the way, real quickly, I look for what you might think is the opposite. So you think of entrepreneurs like Steve Jobs as these people that are charismatic and they light up the room and they're deeply impassioned and they have like this cult of personality. Those aren't generally, or not always anyway, the best entrepreneurs. I look for people that have the, the following. Are, are they coachable? Do they have humility? Are they a good listener, as we spoke of earlier? Uh, do they have a proven track record where they've been able to fight back through adversity? Um, do, do, is it about them? Are they egocentric or is it about the, the team and the result being less egocentric? So I actually find the, the sort of more quiet, subdued, thoughtful, introvert type entrepreneurs are even more effective than the ones who you think would be you know, loud and, and garish. Interesting. 
Yeah, I, I'm not surprised by the uh, the uh, A team taking the C idea to the to, to the top. Uh, it must have been very frustrating for you to watch an A idea get destroyed that uh, when your money's on the line uh, and, and, and just know that the idea was good. You, I guess you should have taken that A idea and given it to the other team. <laughs> probably should have exactly. Well, Josh, this has been really really informative today. I really appreciate your time. Um, stick on the line before you 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 uh, hang up. But thank you. Keep up the good work on the book because I can't wait to read it because they really, really helped me. We'll have all your stuff in our show notes for listeners and viewers to you know follow you on the blog, find out what's going on, buy your books and all that kind of good stuff because anybody looking to innovate, anybody looking to tweak ideas and things like that um, will definitely learn a lot from you. So thanks for taking the time out of your day today. Yeah, well, thank you and Kevin for doing this. I mean, I, I know it's a real gift that you're providing to the world and I think you're making a real impact in people's lives. So so thanks for your leadership here and uh, stay safe and healthy, everybody. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for watching another episode of Open Mic. Today's guest was Josh Linkner. I hope you learned a lot. I did. Please follow him on all his social media channels, buy his books, and if you like the podcast, you know somebody who's struggling with some innovation and brainstorming, or maybe a bad listener, have them watch this. Send it to them. Please subscribe. Please like it so we can keep doing this, so we know that you want us to keep doing this, and stay safe out there.